This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 83. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Something that you're passionate about can't be forced. It just has to evolve naturally. And our guest this episode, Austin Ernst, has been fortunate to follow her passion for golf as she continues to compete on the LPGA Tour. Austin has established herself as a rising star in the LPGA. She made the tour on her first attempt at Q School in 2012 after winning the 2011 NCAA Individual Championship as a freshman at LSU. After earning her LPGA Tour card, Austin became a Rolex first-time winner at the Portland Classic in 2014 and would be named to Team United States in 2017, helping the U.S. retain the Solheim Cup, while now having 21 career top 10 finishes, including finishing tied for second at the 2018 Evian Championship, the final major of the year on the LPGA Tour. Here's episode 83 with Austin Ernst. Austin, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it here on the podcast. And you've got this certain glow and smile right now. I don't know if it's because of the runner-up position that you were in in the last major of the year at the Avion Championship or how your LSU Tigers are playing football right now. (laughs) I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, that's why I woke up uh, Sunday morning in France uh, for Avion and I checked the scores because I couldn't stay up and watch it. And I'm rooming with another girl and I was in the bathroom checking the scores and the first thing I saw is Joe Burrow got interviewed and I was like, well, that's probably a good thing. That's a good thing. And I scrolled down and saw the score and she was still asleep. So I let out a little silent, a silent <laughs> cheer. Uh, but yeah, that started the day off, day off nice and then uh, finished off nice too. So well, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Now, how did you get to LSU though? Being from South Carolina, how did Clemson not wrap you up? Well, Clemson didn't have a women's golf team at the time. At the time they no, didn't. So they just had the men's team and they had talked... They talked about they wanted to start it so that I would have been kind of the first one, and they just didn't have uh, didn't have the funds or didn't have whatever it was, just wasn't in place. So uh, I was lucky. I, I was pretty highly recruited in the Southeast, so I kind of had my pick, and I really had it down between – it was kind of Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, and it really came down between Alabama and LSU, and uh, really struggling with football teams there. And <laughs> yes. uh, I just went down to LSU. I had a couple, te- I had a couple uh, friends that – would have been my teammates, and they kind of taught me into it a little bit. And uh, I love campus. Uh, I love college football, so that was a big that was a big draw. And I loved how warm it was. And going down there, um, winning nationals my freshman year, um, it was it was awesome. Uh, it was it was really fun. I mean, that's really picture cool perfect, right? Yeah. To your freshman year, you win the individual NCAA championship, but you also do it in crazy fashion. Final yeah. round, a hole in one. Yep. And so is that still just that memory? Is that just vivid 
in oh, your yeah. mind. Can, walk us through, as you're walking up to that hole, yeah, what you were kinda, thinking and the approach. Kind of how my brain works. I can remember golf shots, and I can remember just random golf shots, um, which I guess is really good. Cause so I it just, doesn't have to be something very memorable. Well, you I, can could, just, I could probably take you through the entire round um, at NCAAs, that final round, and tell you exactly how far I had on each hole, which what club I hit. Okay, so give me an example. So, of, uh, let's talk your first three number, holes. Number two. Okay. So, number two, par three. It's 162 yards. It was a little downwind. I hit an eight iron. Remember, I hit it, and I hit it perfect, and it was kind of going right at the hole, and it landed like it landed about 15 feet short of the hole. Bent down, picked my tee up. I looked back up. It's three feet short. Starts rolling. We were playing with Texas A&M, so we had a pretty good crowd. And it went in, and everybody just went crazy. And I'm pretty sure I blacked out because <laughs> it was my first hole in one ever. Oh, it was. So yeah, first one ever. So it was the second hole of the tournament. So I remember go up, pick the ball up. You know, everybody's kind of going crazy. And college golf, you have your coaches are on the tee. So I had playing with Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, and then it's ISL Chief. So I've got my coach, Texas A&M coach, and Vanderbilt coach. So high five everybody. So even and the then, competitors, oh, yeah. they were... Everybody. Yes, Everybody's going crazy. That's just a special yeah. moment. Yeah. So um, we get to the third hole, and I remember I was so nervous on the third tee because my heart was just like... Adrenaline's not a good thing in golf, basically. So my heart's going crazy. You know, I'm all jacked up from still making the hole-in-one. So I was like, all right, let's just hit it in the fairway. It was kind of a tight drive. Hit it down the middle of the fairway. I didn't hit a very good iron shot. I hit it about 50 feet behind the hole, and I made it for birdie. Oh, my god. And so that's kind of when I was like, well, this might be a really good day. (laughs) (laughs) So I ended up shooting. I think I shot 31 on the front and um, 35 on the back, and I won by, I think I won by three. That's what a great moment. Yeah. yeah, Now, what's the lowest round you've ever had? 62. Yeah, so I shot that 2013 in Portland. And then... um, so Portland's been a great place for it you. Has, That's where uh, you won your first and, LPGA and was, Tour. And then the following year, I won. So I shot the course record, uh, or I tied the course record with that 62, my rookie year in 2013. And then 2014, I go back and I win. Yeah, I've got good memories of that yes, course. Yes, I can imagine yeah. you do. So what is it about some courses that makes you like a particular course versus some other courses? that, And maybe not even just because you played poorly yep. at a course. Yeah. I think you step up on certain tees and kind of depending on the shot shape that you hit, if you hit a cut or if you hit a draw, certain tee shots just kind of fit your eye and you can just kind of visually see where you want to hit it. And then most courses that I like are somewhat similar to kind of the, I guess, topography of around here. So you got rolling hills, but I also like old style golf courses that are tree lined. So it's it's kind of interesting, the difference in the courses I like. I don't really like it if it's if it's wide open. Sometimes it's harder for me to kind of see the shot I want to hit. You kind of have something similar to what you grow up on, typically is something you're going to like, because that's what you're used to. Now, why don't you like a wide open course? Most golfers will say, I want as much freedom as I've got rather well, than a tree line course. If it's, if it's too wide open, it's hard to pick out a target. So you might you might go up and there's not a bunker, there's not anything, and you just see the side of a hill and you're like, oh, well, I'll just hit at the side of the hill. But you don't you don't really have kind of that small target that you want. Where if you've got now you could have a wider course with bunkers, and then that's easier to say, oh, I'm gonna hit it left side of that bunker, something like that. But yeah, that's that might be why I've struggled at British Opens because <laughs> you I have guess, no targets. I guess right? I have no targets over there. But uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting how different people are different ways too. Because you know, of course, I might love one other girls might hate. So it's funny how it's still so individual, um, even based on golf courses. And you mentioned the adrenaline, yeah. not a good thing in golf because you're trying to obviously remain calm. So what are some of your techniques of how you can 
control that adrenaline rust as you're getting ready for a tournament? Yeah, so it's more in the heat of the moment. So, you know, Evian, um, obviously major championship. So I look up on the, I like looking at leaderboards. So um, we get the 13th hole. I hit it on the green, have an eagle putt from about 30 feet. So I look up at the leaderboard and I see that I'm, I think I was five back at the time. So I look up and, oh, I was four back at the time. So I look up and it's like, well, if I run this in, only two back, five to go. Okay, that can make things interesting. So end up making birdie. I get a 15. I have an eagle putt that whips out. And I got up on the tee box. And as you're walking this tee box, it's literally impossible not to see where you are. And the 16th hole is probably the most visually intimidating hole that we play the entire year. So you've got water short and the green's really narrow. Um, it's got a slope off to the left. If you hit it left, it's going to go in the water. If you hit it long, you're in a bunker. And then you might hit the bunker shot into the water. Like it's It's just got a lot going on. So um, I walk up on the tee, and I see that I'm tied for second. I think I'm two back. So get up there, and, I mean, I'm sh- my hands are, you know, you kind of get get a little a little shake going. So I know for me, I just take a lot of deep breaths. So I just take very deep breaths, and I just slow myself down. But it's funny because golf is literally the only sport, I think, where adrenaline doesn't help you. You know, football, it's going right. to help you your – going to be able to attack a little bit more maybe as a quarterback it doesn't help you but pretty much any other position it helps you and I think with golf you just have to slow yourself down so much because you don't realize how fast you get so for me taking a deep breath and then just kind of feeling like I do everything maybe in half the speed that I normally do it in now are you intentional though in your thoughts like okay slow down I'm intentional I'm intentional now because I've been in that situation enough and I know what my tendencies are and I know how to help myself get back to what my my normal level pace is. So I'll be intentional in just slowing myself down. But then when it comes time to hit the shot, you know, my thought might just be, okay, smooth back. But I'm still just focused on what I'm doing. And the thing that helped I think that helped me so much for Evian was playing Solheim last year. It's the LPGA version of Ryder Cup. So you literally have more people than you've ever seen. You've got more adrenaline, more adrenaline that week than I've ever had. And I hit some of the best shots I've ever hit in my life that week. So I just thought back when I was on 16, I hit a great shot into a par three, uh, the 14th hole during uh, four ball when I was playing with Paula and we were playing um, to the European girls. And I almost made a hole in one on that hole. And it was a very similar shot, very similar number. So I just thought back and I was like, you did that at Solheim, and you do it again. You've got this. And then I hit a great hit a great iron shot on 16, and then um, obviously coming down the stretch, 17 and 18, you need to hit the fairway, and I hit hit two quality shots there and um, just ended up being one shot short, just, just barely missed my putt on 18. But uh, I think when you put yourself in that situation and when you perform, that's where you can go back to that situation and say, hey, I've hit those shots. And you can think back to Portland and say, hey, I won that golf tournament. And you just have those memories that you can that go confidence. back to. Exactly. So and when you're in that situation, you can just always go back to that. And one of the things I, I talked with Stuart Sink, and he talked about, mm-hmm. you know, the differences between a lot of other sports and golf is a lot of these other sports are reactionary sports yep. where it's almost like a muscle memory, natural movement. You just react based yep. on other things going on. And one of the things that is so unique about golf is that you have a moment to your point where you got to sit there and take some breaths. You got yeah. to have your swing thoughts in your head, yep. but then you've also got to get to a point where you almost make it reactionary. Yeah, where you just go up there and it's just to your point, gain the confidence from these yeah. other shots that you've hit in the past, yeah. and 
just swing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's where practice comes into play, too, because, you know, we all want that moment where I, I want that moment where I'm I'm nervous on the 16th hole and that I'm in that situation where I know I can win. A, I know I have a chance to win a golf tournament because I don't practice to finish 30th. I want to win. So <laughs> You're competitive. Yeah, very. Um, I'm competitive if we go play a board game. So, but, um <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where you're practicing and you're trying to put yourself in that situation. Even when you're practicing, you're trying to just kind of simulate pressure however you do it, which is where, I mean, I play practice rounds with other girls and we're, we have some kind of bet on the line. Oh, you there's do. always, money? there's always something. Normally it's dinner or a little okay. bit of money. Yeah. So, um, but that's where you try to give yourself just a few more times where, okay, you've got that putt to win or, you know, you got that putt to tie and, oh, hey, it might save you a hundred bucks or whatever it's going to save you. Or even just the pride of, of not losing. So uh, I think the more that you can put yourself in that situation, the more that you're going to learn, and the more that you're going to be able to hit that shot. And but golf, golf, the whole goal of golf is to where you don't have to sit there and think about your swing. You don't have to think, oh, I need to do this on my backswing and this on my third swing. When I play my best golf, that's how I'm thinking, as I have no, I basically have no swing thoughts. Yeah, you just go yeah. up there and it's a reaction. You just exactly. go up there and swing. Yeah. Now, where did you get this competitive streak from? Uh, well, I have an older brother who played golf, and then my dad's a club pro at Cross Creek Plantation in Seneca. So I grew up around the game, um, and we played other sports too. So I grew up, I played soccer, uh, I played softball, and I played basketball, and I played golf. So, And then I had my brother who always wanted to throw football or always wanted to throw baseball or always wanted to play basketball, play one-on-one with me, and I never won. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he toughened me up a lot as I, yeah. when I was How a kid. How much older is he? Uh, he's two and a half years older. Oh, okay, so yeah. you're close. Yeah, uh, He caddies for me now. He's caddied for me for the last five years. So, um, yeah, we're very close. We get along really well. Um, much better than when we were kids playing in the imagine. yard. So, but I think just growing up around that, my parents are both pretty competitive. Like, we would always play games when we were growing up and that kind of thing. And um, I think just... Growing up with Drew and always having someone to play with and always play against, and we always wanted to beat each other. But then at the same time, it was cool because I think this is different than having a brother and having, if I would have had a sister. So I never actually played against Drew when I played golf. We might be at the same tournament, but he was playing the boys' league and then I was playing the girls' league. So it was, we could both win. And I remember getting to see him before my freshman year. He won the um, state am. South Carolina State now. So that was my senior year of high school right after I was getting ready to go to LSU. And then it was cool because um, watching people play golf gives me so much anxiety <laughs> because I have no <laughs> now, control. Why is that? It's because I have no control of it. So I remember he's playing. <laughs> you need to be in control. I yeah. want to hit that shot is what you're yeah. saying. So uh, I remember telling my dad, he's playing. It's basically how the tournament was. It was him and Wesley Bryan, who's now on the PGA Tour. So they're kind of battling it out and they're kind of back and forth. And there's this one hole and they hit. Two horrible tee shots. <laughs> Drew hits it like way left in the trees. Wesley hits it way right in the trees. Drew makes a great par. Wesley makes bogey. And I remember looking at my dad and being like, "This? How do you watch this?" It's <laughs> like if you're watching, if you're watching us play, or if you're watching the girls, we both hit the fairway. One of us, hit, we both hit it on the green. One of us made birdie, and one of us made par, and then we just got the next hole. It's <laughs> like this is just giving me too much anxiety, too much stress. But it was so cool because he ended up beating Wesley in the playoff, and then you know seeing him do that. Um, but it's so funny. Where when you watch, you know, I, I kind of want the ball in my hands. And when you watch somebody else, it's like you don't have that control, but you want them to do so well. It's like when you watch Clemson football or you watch LSU football. 
you know, you want them to win. That's right. But at the end of the day, you don't actually have control you of have it. You have no control. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what drives people crazy. And most fans, they become fanatics because yeah. they think they can control something, yeah. but and they it can't. Dri- and it drives you crazy when they don't catch the ball or, you know, they don't make the play on the ball. So it's, it's funny because it's kind of the, I'm the same way with golf, but when I have control of it, even though I might be nervous, I feel like I'm in full control and I never have, I guess, anxiety over it. I'm never like afraid of what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's a completely is, different, it's completely feeling. different feeling. Yeah. Growing up then with your brother playing golf, like he was a little bit older and your dad, a, a pro, were you pressured into pursuing golf or did they just naturally let that no i think pull you into it they naturally let it happen and i think that's why i loved it so much because i was never pushed to do it so we would go i mean from the time i was i probably played played softball the longest i probably played softball till i was about 13 but i was always the best at golf so it was kind of we had the season so you know you'd play soccer in the fall basketball in the winter time then you'd play softball in the spring and golf in the summer so I would always go practice a little bit of golf, and then my dad taught me. But my dad waited for us to ask him to teach us, which I, th- I think was great because it was never, you know, we would go out to the golf course and maybe hang out for a little while. And I remember my brother would go play before I did, and him and my mom would go play, and I'd go ride the cart, and I might play two holes, I'd hop out, play a hole, sit in the cart, I'd get bored, or I'd just go sit in my dad's office and play a game. But... I remember spending probably when I was about 10, my brother was playing all these junior tournaments and I was still too young. So summertime, I would spend the whole day with my dad at the golf course. And I remember Thursdays, especially, I would literally get there. They had the ladies play at like nine o'clock and the ladies were nice enough to let me go play with them. (laughs) So I played with the ladies in the morning. I would have lunch and then the cart boys could play on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. And so I used to always go hang out with them and they would let me play with them. So I'd play like 36 holes on Thursdays in the summer. Oh, my goodness. And I just loved it because I just loved being out there and playing and practicing. And then I think from that, like, you just had that, I had that natural just love of the game kind of happen instead of saying, oh, well, Austin, you have to go to the golf course for five hours and you have to practice the entire time and you can't come inside and hang out. And I remember... Like when I got bored, which cart boys probably weren't supposed to let me do this, but I would get to go. We would race around the cart barn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably not that's, allowed. My dad probably would have frowned upon that. Yes, he would have. Yes. Yeah. But it's funny, like just little memories like that. Most of my memories when I'm a kid, I'm somewhere around a golf course. And it's, I wasn't necessarily playing golf, but I remember just hanging out around the golf course and having so much fun being out there. And that's why, I mean, I literally grew up at the golf course. Yeah. So that's where I think that natural love of it. And then now, as I'm playing professionally, I still love it. Like, I can't, there's nothing else I'd rather do than play golf. Yeah. Like, could you play every single day? Absolutely. Yeah. You could. So you get a little bit, towards the end of the season, just with all our travel, you get a little burnout. But when I'm home in the off season, um, I live down in Florida, uh, especially in the wintertime. And there's a bunch of girls. We always normally get a game going every few days, but I might play. If somebody asked me to play five days in a row, I will go play five days in a row <laughs> just because I like, I like playing so much. Where you might have other people say, oh, well, you know, I can't play that many days in a row. I'll get tired or I'll get bored of it. But I'll take some time off after the season just so I'm not burnt out. And then I always want to get to where I want to practice. So normally it's like two weeks. I might say I'm going to wait three weeks. Normally after two weeks, I get the itch you to kind of go itch. back. You got to get yeah. back out there. Yeah. So, and then it's kind of whether I decide to let it kind of linger for a couple more days or if I kind of get back to it. But I think 
you have to love what you do, especially especially as much as we travel, as much as we play, as much as I, I practice. If I, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't spend the hours that I do on it because I wouldn't enjoy it. But when I enjoy it, then I can go stay out there for four hours and I actually enjoy practicing. I enjoy trying to get better. And I think that's one reason why over the past few years I've learned so much more about my golf game. I've learned how I can get better. And then I've spent hours doing it. And that's why every year I've gotten better. Okay, so explain that when you mean how you can get better. H- so how are you getting better? It's more, I mean, you're an LPGA pro. Yeah, it's more just kind of figuring out, okay, when I don't play well, what isn't going well? Is it my wedge game? Is it my putting? Is it my driving of the ball? Uh, is my iron game? You know, kind of what is it? And then you, you know, so I'll look at it after rounds, especially after tournaments, and I'll say, oh, well, why didn't I play well that week? Or Evian, you look at it, and you do the flip side, and you say, what did I do well that maybe I hadn't done well in the past? And so you kind of just look at those. You know, normally, it's three things. For me, it's if I drive the ball well, if I hit my wedges well, and if I putt well. Then you Golf look at it. sounds simple. <laughs> I mean, it sounds simple when you break it down like that. But, you know, a lot of it's execution, too. But, you know, you look at that, and you say, okay, well, that's where I'm going to spend my time. And that's how you go from being good to being Great. Yes. So you kind of make, you know, you're looking at it and you look at stats and stuff and it's maybe half a shot. and But you look at half a shot and it's two strokes a tournament. And it makes a big difference. goes the difference between finishing second and winning some weeks. So that's where it's, it'll drive you crazy because it's nitpicking. <laughs> but it's where you just try to figure out that little bit that makes you a little bit better. And, you know, you look at the best... You, Best at any any sport. That's what they do. They figure out, okay, what's going to make me just slightly better? That everybody calls it that one percent better. They That's right. Call it that one percent better. But there's there's something to it because if you can get that one percent better, then you're always kind of moving up. You're always becoming a better player, and you're not kind of stuck where you were. I've also believed in the the ten thousand hour rule yep. in terms of to master something, you have to invest 10,000 hours or more into the practice of it. So from your perspective, have you ever sat back and even calculated like how many rounds you've played or how much time you've actually spent out I, on the course? I don't think I could. Um, <laughs> that's what, so my dad's still at Cross Creek in Seneca. So I've literally been there. He got there when I was four. I'm 26 now. So I've Literally been there. I was, a lot of time. I've there. been there a lot. So obviously now I don't live. I don't live in Seneca anymore. I still spend. I still spend my summers here um, when I have off weeks. But the amount of rounds I've played on that golf course, somebody asked me, and I don't think I could calculate it, just because it's going to be so many from the time I was twelve to twenty, twelve to eighteen, where it's it would probably be like borderline three hundred a year. Like, it would be a lot of rounds of golf. That's a lot of rounds. It might not be that many, but it's it's a lot. So, it's funny. I go out, I go out there, and I still know where the sprinkler heads are. Because when <laughs> this was before you had rangefinders. Yes. So, so you had to know. You'd walk up, and, you know, when you play a golf course enough, you kind of hit it in the same spots. So, you know, I can walk out on the first hole, and somebody's walking over to it, which now nobody does it because you have a rangefinder. But the past, oh, hey. You could tell them exactly what club. And you tell them, oh, yeah, hey, it's 92 to the front from there, and... They're like, how'd you know that? Spent a little bit of time out here. <laughs> <laughs> so, I know this yeah. course, right? Yeah. When you talk about though the desire that you have, yeah. you know, of always playing, how much of it do you think is the passion for the game, 
also with your competitive nature, though, that you want to compete in something. Yeah. Well, that's why everybody asks me, like, what I love about playing on tour. And I I just say I love competing. I love playing tournaments. So I think it it goes hand in hand because I love golf. But at the same time, when I get done playing golf, if I don't have kind of like some something that I'm playing for, I probably won't play as much. Just because, I mean, whether it's five bucks, I don't care. Exactly. I want to win the five bucks. Yes. But you know, if I go play, if I go play with a group of guys at at home, I want to play for for something. I don't care if I have to give them shots. I don't care if it's five bucks at the end of the day or it's beer. I don't care. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I want to play for something because I get bored if I don't. That's just kind of how I work. So it's I have to have something that's kind of pushing me there. But at the same time, I think I will play golf after after I stop playing competitively. Um, not competitively like on tour but I definitely won't play as much just because it's I know there's going to be that point where I'm not going to be very good anymore and I think that's the most frustrating part because I'll go play and I'll be like man I used to be so good <laughs> now I suck <laughs> I think that's going to be a long time before what that happened? happens though but I think that's one of those things that that's where you'll struggle eventually but uh, but no I think I think the passion and the competitive competitiveness kind of go they go hand, hand in, in hand. hand i think so yeah. yeah when was it though that it hit you that i'm going to dedicate everything now to golf because i want to be yeah. on the lpga tour was it at 12 years old well i remember um my dad took me to the masters when i was nine i was in um i was in fourth grade and i got to miss a thursday of school so i That's got a to bonus go, right yeah. there <laughs> so i got to go thursday to the masters and um we spent the whole day down there and my dad knew Brad Faxon. He went to Furman with uh, with Brad for a year, and uh, I remember getting like Ernie Els autograph, Jose Maria Othabel, um, just kind of going around and seeing. We just walked around the entire entire course, and I was like, "Man, that would be so cool to do that." But I mean, you know, as a nine year old, you ask any nine year old kid what they want to do, they want to play some sport professionally. Yes, that's right. They play they play basketball. They want to play professional basketball. You know, it's it's kind of so. I would say. When I was a kid, I wanted to do it. Now, when I realized I could do it, like legitimately could play on the LPGA yeah, legitimately, Tour. legitimately, like I'm confident enough I can make I the tour. I would say that took until I won NCAAs my freshman year to where I could legitimately say with almost certainty that, okay, I can do that. Because from that, I got to play. That just gives you, I think it just gave me the confidence to say, okay, I know I'm good, but okay, I might be better than I thought I was even. Where oh I can compete and I can, I can beat everyone in the next basically it was four years ahead of me it was th- or three years ahead of me whatever it was and you know we had a girl on the team that was ranked number one in the country for a lot of a lot of the years or a lot of uh, a lot of that year and you know kind of seeing what she did and okay I can pl- I can beat her I can beat these other people all right and then I got to go play in at the time it was the Craft Nabisco now it's the A and A Inspiration our first major, uh, the LPJ's first major. So from that, uh, I played, and I remember I played terrible the first, like, nine holes. Yeah, but no, what's your definition of terrible? Like, I shot, like, 41. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On the front nine. Yeah, for you, that like, is it was, terrible. It was horrible. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, and then I made the turn. I played. I played decent on the back nine. I think I shot even on the back nine. And then we came out. I played. I was like second to last group the first day. And then the second day came out and I played. I played well. Shot two under, and made the cut. And over the weekend I played. Um, I actually remember this. I played with Melissa Reed on um, Saturday. 
So she's from England. She played in Solheim Cup. She was really a good player. So play with her. I shot bogey free sixty eight, and end of the round, you know, we're um, saying hey, no, enjoy playing with you. And she gave me. She's like, that was really impressive. And I was like, oh thanks. And she's like, no, like that was really impressive. Like <laughs> you, like you should be out here. And because you know, I'm wearing, I'm full out my LSU. Gear. LSU, like, yeah, you know, it's, it. it's April of my sophomore year. So. That one, and then on uh, Sunday I played with Anna Norquist, and I played well up until I think I had, I was standing on the 14th hole, and I kind of pressed a little bit. I had a chance to be low am, and my dad was kiting for me, and basically I went at like every flag, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> you were aggressive, huh? Sunday on the last five holes of a major, <laughs> and I bogeyed the last five holes. So, and I ended up finishing like 45th or something, I was like, wow, well if I... I'm not five or ten over for fourteen holes, basically. Then I'm kind of right there in the mix. So that kind of that kind of sparks it. Where I think also you look at it, and obviously we're very good. But if you see us, if you're a good amateur and you play, you might have this. Oh, I have to every shot perfect. Where pros don't hit every shot perfect, but when they do hit a bad shot, they it's amazing get the recovery. It up and down. They get it up and down. I mean, you just look at it. I look at where I was in 2012 as an amateur playing that tournament where I am now and my recovery skills are so much better whether it's I'm a better chipper I'm a better putter you think better you know you just kind of you hit a bad tee shot and you say oh well instead of trying to hit it through that little gap I'll punch it out and I'll wedge it up and make par so I think it's just you look at that and you see the difference there but you also see that as an amateur and you say wow I could play with them so that's kind of where I had the thought of okay I could do this and then I ended up taking a semester off um, after my sophomore year going to Q school I stayed an amateur through the first two stages of Q school and that got me full semester status so I decided I would go ahead and turn pro because I was like well in two years if I go back to school and in two years I do this like why did I just why did I come for yeah just go ahead and do it now right so I turned pro for third stage and then made it through I finished 11th and got a full card and leaving LSU was that a difficult decision? It was. I wanted to be closer to home at the same time. You know, I wanted to be, my dad's always been my swing coach. So I felt like my sophomore year, I got into a few bad habits that I couldn't get myself out of. Like and from a swing perspective? From a swing perspective. So it was more not having that, hey, dad, can you watch me hit a few balls? And it being that simple to where, okay, well, you can text a video or, you know, you can do that, but it's not exactly it's not the, the same, same thing. Because he can literally walk up, I can hit five golf balls, and he can say, okay, yeah, this is what you're doing. Where if you have a video, you might not be able to tell exactly, just because of whatever reason, the camera angle, whatever it is. It can be something as, typically with me, it's something like fundamentally wrong. So I have, basically I have five fundamentals. My dad preaches the five fundamentals. (laughs) Let's hear the fundamentals. You've got grip, stance, uh, ball position, posture, and alignment. So normally one of those five things gets off. And normally with me, it's either um, my alignment gets off or my ball position gets a little bit off. And it can be, you know, it can be as simple as, oh, well, you know, you're lined up left. That's why you're hitting that shot or whatever it is. But it's not as easy to do that when you're a thousand miles away, whatever it was. So um, I was basically a nine hour car ride away. Yeah, that's a long way. I could come home for holidays and that's about it. Um, And with how busy he is, normally he would get out to one or two events. So I just felt like I got a little bit off with that. And then from there, I was like, wow, well, I did all this, not even feeling that great about my golf swing. Okay, well, you know, we'll see. So 
uh, ended up coming home, obviously spent that entire semester that I took off at Q School and ended up making it through. And I lived in Seneca for, I think, two years um, while I've been on tour. And then now what I do is my dad will either come to events or I know my, I think that's one thing too. I know my golf swing so much better. So I kind of know my tendencies and I know my. You can break it down yourself so can, to a certain degree. I can normally degree. break it down and I can send him a video and see what he says and I can normally say oh yeah that's what I thought too <laughs> so but yeah it's nice it's nice in the summers kind of how I've done it where I come back here and I get to spend time with my family um get to spend time on the lake and then I also get that little checkup with my dad in between events so when was it I guess you mentioned five years ago that Drew your brother decides mm-hmm. to help you with the bag be your caddy so how did that come about? I mean, was that something yeah. that you asked him, or did he approach you? Yeah, so it's, it's actually really funny because now they catch me. So I'll tell I'll tell the funny story later. But um, <laughs> so he was playing uh, mini tour golf. So he played in the BMW in Greenville, okay. um, qualified for that, and then he didn't make the cut. Didn't play well. And basically, mini tour golf is very very expensive. So they're paying like twelve hundred dollar entry fees. So he basically he had a few people help him out, and then eventually. Basically, the money ran out. So um, he was like, well, I'm not enjoying doing this anymore. And I had already asked him at the beginning of the year, um, him and my mom were going to come to the Bahamas. And I was like, well, Drew, why don't you just caddy for me? So he came. Uh, it ended up being like the weirdest golf tournament I've ever played in because it rained, I think, 14 inches on Tuesday night. So we started on Thursday. So it rains 14 inches Tuesday night. Apparently, this happens like once a year in the Bahamas. <laughs> so... They wash Pro-Am out on Wednesday. They wash the day on Thursday, and we have a player meeting. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to play half the golf course underwater, but we're going to play three 12-hold rounds, but we're going to make one par five was changed to a par three, a par four was changed to a par three, and we played a weird routing the golf course. So, like, instead of starting on number one, we started on number – oh, we went from number 10 to number six <laughs> – to number seven, oh to number eight. Like, it was it was really weird kind of how we did it. But we did that, and then Drew ended up caddying. We had a great time. Um, I thought he did a great job, and I was like, hey, do you want to keep caddying? And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. So that was May of my rookie year, and we're, yeah, we're five and a half years in, basically. We're, he's about to finish five and a half. So the funny story with that was Drew caddied for me when I was an amateur in U.S. Open Qualifier. And I must have been in a mood that day because he did not like any for me at all. So He's like, I'm done. I remember I played. I played really bad. Um, I almost still still qualified. I got no playoff for the alternate spots and didn't get through. And we're driving back from North Carolina. We're in the car and Drew's talking to my dad on the phone. He's like, I'm never caddying for her again. <laughs> like she's miserable. <laughs> and then now I give him so much crap because I'm like. <laughs> Now you've worked for me for five and a half years. Exactly. But when was it that you got to a point where you could beat Drew in golf? Um, I, I think the first time I beat him, I was 15. So we used to always play. Now, that wasn't from the same tee. So I would play. So Now, could you beat him from the same tee now? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Drew. <laughs> yeah. So um, it'd be that'd probably be a pretty good battle. But uh, I remember he used to give me shots. So I would play like the when I was fifteen, I would play basically the white tees. So um, at Cross Creek, the tips or the gold tee. So Drew played the gold, I played the white, and he'd always give me shots. And I remember I don't think I had to have any shots that day, but I shot thirty two on the front, and we were playing, and he shot thirty two on the back, but I shot thirty two, thirty two. I shot sixty four, and I beat him. Wow! So he shot like sixty 
Six. Yeah, I mean, shot he had a great round. He had a great round, and I had like <laughs> my best round ever at Cross Creek at that point. So that's I think that's the first time I beat him, and then we've never played. He doesn't play that much anymore, um, but we've never played where I've played the same tee as him. So he thinks he can still beat me. But yeah, well, of course he does. That's state. right. That's an older brother. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. that's a big that's a tall task for mm-hmm. a younger sister to beat him. No, he he did beat me. I think it was last year he beat me one round, and he. I beat him, I think, three more times. It was over Christmas break. I think I beat him the other three times I played him, but I never hear the end of the one time yeah, that course, he beat me that's recently. Right. That's what's stuck uh, in his head. Exactly. Like, I still can beat my sister. Exactly. Right? How was it, though, the transition being on tour? I mean, now yeah. you'd mentioned, I mean, I know there's a grind with the travel. Yep. So what were some of the other challenges or just some of the differences that like, wow, okay, so this is different being on the tour? Oh, yeah. I think the biggest difference is... Amateur golf, you play like one week, you play a tournament one week, and you're home for two weeks. Well, professional golf, you play three weeks, and you have one week off. Or you play, you could play six weeks. So you just have so many weeks in a row that you're playing. Yeah, and how much and so it's, do you have in control of your schedule then? Uh, I have full control of my schedule. So now I'm kind of to the point where I'll pick and choose, and I'll say, okay, well, I don't want to play more than four weeks in a row, so I'm not going to play that week. Or I don't like that golf course, I'm not going to play that week. Or I don't feel like going there, I'm not going to play that week. Whatever it is. So um, I sit down. You know, last year I played, I think, 29 weeks, which was a little bit too much. So this year I trimmed it down to, I think I'm going to play 25 this year. And it's just kind of more, the longer you're on tour, the more you kind of realize, okay, well, it might seem like a good idea to go play that tournament, but if I'm struggling or if I'm tired, I'm not going to play well. So there's no reason for me to go play that tournament. So I think you just kind of learn as you go, even, you know, this is my sixth year on tour, and I feel like now I finally have the hang of, okay, well, this is what I want to do. And you get the hang of, I don't need to go play 18-hole practice rounds. I've seen this golf course a lot. I'll have Drew go walk the golf course, see if they move tees, and we'll just kind of change the game plan from that. Whereas when you play amateur golf, you always go play practice round. You always play 18 holes. You never play nine hole practice rounds. I play, this year I can I can count on one hand how many 18 hole practice rounds I've played. Now I might play a pro-am as well. Like I think I've played every pro-am this year. So on a Wednesday, my, my day is a pro-am, which now we play a mix of nine hole pro-ams and 18 hole pro-ams. But I use that more as a, okay, that's well, practice that's round. my practice round. And... I don't need to go grind all day on Tuesdays, and I'll take my Monday off. Where when you're a rookie, you're grinding. You're grinding because you know you feel like you got to play catch up because you've got girls out here that have been on tour for five, ten, fifteen years, and they've seen this golf course. They kind of already have all their homework done, and every week's new for you, which is which is tough. So you're I think your rookie year is so hard too because you're more lonely than you were. So you always had, oh, my mom would travel with me, or, oh, I had my team in college. I always had somebody booking my travel. I had somebody doing all this stuff for me, and I always had somebody to go to dinner with, somebody to hang out with. Well, your rookie year, you're going to have a handful of friends, but you probably don't know that many people your rookie year. And if you get on a different wave of a tea time, if I play in the morning and you play in the afternoon, maybe we can't meet up for dinner. So I remember my rookie year, I spent a lot of, like, probably half of the weeks or half of a week tournament week i would go sit at like a outback or somewhere and i'd just go sit at the bar and i'd have dinner at the bar and i'd talk to the people at the bar just so you had some <laughs> but, conversation yeah, right <laughs> but, you know it's it's more and then now i feel like i have so many so many more of my friends are out there just from me being older 
and having all my friends from college and junior golf and that kind of thing where you're not necessarily reaching out to people that you've never seen before you i mean obviously i have a lot of people that i had i did not know them but you always kind of have somebody to if you want to go to dinner i always have somebody i can go to dinner with and it's even even caddies you know i hang out with hang out with drew and the boys a lot too to where i can call them and they like me enough to where they'll they'll put up they'll with let me. you in the group they'll put up with me for a day <laughs> they'll put up with one player for a day so um but I think that's the biggest difference is it's more you kind of have your people out there now. And when you first get out there, you have nobody. You, yeah, you don't have anybody. Yourself. So now, yeah. when you're traveling, where are you staying? Are you in hotels all mostly, the time? Are mostly you hotels. Renting houses? Uh, I have. We try to rent houses when we can, especially when my, my parents get to come normally to majors. So I try to always rent a house for that. And then now we've gotten to where there's a group of girls that I'm really good friends with and we'll try to rent a house that way we can cook if we want to and then you just have something that's more oh I can go sit on a couch I can sit in a chair exactly. and sit in the kitchen I can do whatever and not oh I'm laying on this bed all the time but some weeks we we are stuck in hotels and then I, I stayed with a few host families my rookie year so kind of saved money that rookie year and now I've got probably four that I go back to that they've become like great friends so you can get some so, home-cooked meals. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool to go back. Um, I've got a couple where they have kids, and it's cool to go back because, I, I mean, I went first time in 2013, so six years ago, or five years ago, and you go back now, and one family, they had like a 10-year-old, and now he's like 15, and it's so funny to like see, <laughs> to see the, the difference. It's so funny to see the difference every year and kind of see, you know, everybody... Everybody grows, everybody changes a little bit, and it's it's fun to see kind of the difference of he when he first when I first stayed with him he would always run up on eighteen, and when I'm signing autographs he would always want me to sign a ball for him, and then I was like Connor I can give you a ball <laughs> at the house, but he would want one there. That's right. And now it's funny because I was telling I was telling his mom I was like oh he's probably not going to do that now. <laughs> That's right. He's too he's grown right past up. That phase, he's too right? grown up now. But exactly. yeah, it's it's fun. When yeah. was it the first time that you remember somebody asking you for an autograph? Um, I remember somebody asking me for one, maybe when I was in high school. How did but that? Then, how did you feel? It's 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 really cool actually, because like I love the thing I love is little kids. When little kids ask you for an autograph, because I remember being that little kid at the Masters and how excited I was when I just got I had a little pamphlet or whatever signed by Ernie Els and Jose Maria Thobel and Brad Fax and all those guys. And you get an autograph, and like when you're a kid, it's literally like the coolest thing. You make a kid's day. You might make their week. Cause of course. Or their like, year, their yeah, life. It's... You give them a golf ball. You get, I mean, it might get them to try to go play golf. But I think like the look, whenever I hand a kid a golf ball that's signed or a glove or, you know, just sign it, sign a piece of paper for them, I think that's the coolest part of like what we get to do. Because you can actually, like you're talking about, change somebody's life. Even for like five minutes, you make it where, hey, oh, I got. I got Austin's autograph. That's that's so cool. But I love that. That's one of the coolest things I think about. You get done with the round and you play terrible, and everybody still wants your autograph. Like that's that's still pretty cool. <laughs> Helps your ego yeah. a little bit, yeah. right? Helps you get oh, yeah. better for the next day. Yeah. Well, what about hitting somebody in the gallery? I don't know if I've ever actually making contact with anybody. It's well, that's I, a good thing. This year in Canada, I hit it into a crowd of people, and I have no idea how I didn't hit any of them. <laughs> but it ended up in a person's like they had. Uh, the little drawstring bag and they had a chair and it was kind of in between the bag and the chair and I actually had to get relief from the bag 
but because I asked them, I walked up, I was like, oh, did I, I'm really sorry, did I hit you? And they're like, no, it missed us. So luckily I haven't, I haven't hit anybody you haven't yet. haven't hit anybody. You haven't Not hurt can, anybody that you had to no, give them a glove. I at least, I at least <laughs> haven't hurt anybody. So if I've hit them, they haven't told me I've hit them, yeah. which they would for sure get a glove, so they should tell me that, that I hit them. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I've been lucky where I haven't been too wayward with my tee shots. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the the worst experience from being out on tour in terms of have, have you ever had a whiff or oh, I mean a worm burner oh, yeah. like out on tour? Has that so, ever happened? Um, I had the lead in Kingsville this year, and I topped one on the eighth on the eighth tee box. I had a three wood. Um, I had a three wood. Um, I hit three wood on the eighth hole every day. And I straight topped it. And so we were playing. God, it was so embarrassing. So we were playing. I think I had the lead at the time. If I didn't have a lead, I like had the share of the lead or I was one back. So we uh, we were playing lift clean in place. So basically in the fairway, I can put a tee down, I can clean the ball, and I can put it back down. So I hit it on the red, I hit it on the ladies' tee box is where it ended up. So, and it's got mud on it. So I was like, well, can I clean it on the tee box? Can I not clean it on the tee box? I had to call for an official. It took the official like 10 minutes to get there. So it's even more embarrassing. So the group, the group behind us is walking up, and I was like, oh, God. So we, we go, and um, I actually did get to clean it, and I hit a very good second shot. But I still made double bogey on the hole, so <laughs> I did not recover well. No, you did not. But it was, uh, yeah, we still— So we, it still happens. Oh, yeah, we still hit some horrible shots. The— uh, they were very nice though. They could have shown that one on TV, and they didn't. <laughs> and I was very glad they didn't show it on TV. So why do but, you yeah. think that happens for somebody like you? Um, I mean, I just think you just hit terrible shots sometimes. I mean, you see, you see, like Webb Simpson, he won the Players Championship this year. He shanks it probably like five times a year. It's just it just happens. We hit we hit bad shots, and we play enough golf to where you're going to hit some really bad ones. And I literally, I just started laughing when I topped it. And that's, I think that's the only thing you could do. Because otherwise, you're going to freak yourself out for the rest of the round. I mean, that's I right. had, if you get mad, again, yeah. it goes back to that yeah. adrenaline stress. I mean, are you yeah. putting more pressure on yourself? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I still had 10 holes to play after that one. So, it's one of the, now the next time I had three, what am I in? I was a little nervous. <laughs> you're thinking about it a little bit yeah. more, right? You think about it, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> I didn't hit that shot ever, maybe. <laughs> what would you be doing um, if you weren't playing golf? Um, I don't know. I think I would do something with golf. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I'd like to do something with sports, but I I couldn't say right now exactly what I'd do, but I, I could see myself doing something along kind of the teaching lines. Um, I don't have quite the eye for it that my dad does, but I have a little bit of an eye for it. Do you have the patience it. for it? I'm a very impatient person, so I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I would want to, I would want to do something with golf. Um I like it too much. Uh, when I first got out of college, I was like, well, I could see myself kind of being a college coach, doing something like that. Um, just because I think it's so cool to like help people try to get to the next level and try to try to be better. And obviously with college kids, you can do that in more ways than one. Not only golf, but not everybody's going to play professional golf, but you can kind of help. Just in life. Help mold them a little bit. I mean, you look at, you look at like Dabo, how those kids love him. And it's because he's just such a good guy and he's... You know, he's just got he's got his life together, and he kind of helps them helps them along the lines. You know, those guys that don't go play in the NFL, they still he still helps helps mold them into into good. That's right, good guys. Now, were you a Clemson fan growing up from a football perspective? Yeah, so, um, yeah, for not the not the glory days, <laughs> <laughs> I was there as well. I've, then, I've been there in those non glory days. And then now I've I've converted to uh, converted to an LSU fan. But yeah, we grew up. We went to. 
probably won every Clemson football game from the time I was 8 to 18, that I can remember at least. I don't really remember not missing, not going to one. So, um, yeah, we we spent a lot of time, a lot of time tailgating and, and hanging out in Clemson. I actually had a service learning class where we would go out and go somewhere in the community and go help for, you know, your 90-minute class. So we knew um, Coach Scott pretty well, Brad Scott. So we... Uh, he set it up to where I could go and work in the football office. So my job, I went from 8 a.m. to 9.30, and my job was to sort recruiting files and to go in the locker room every day and had to post the schedule. And I'll tell you what, that locker room smells horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> and that's with, and that's Bunch with, of young men there. And that's with nobody in it. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was cool. Uh, it was cool getting to do that and hang out. That was actually, I think that was when... Tommy Bowden was the coach. I think that was the. I think that was the year where Dabo took over. Took mid-year. over two thousand eight. So, yeah. Wow. Now you mentioned service. Um, you also, in terms of service, do a lot here locally, giving back yep. to the community with Safe Harbor. So why has that become such a point in your heart that you wanted to help out? Yeah, it's been really cool. Um, my well, I've always wanted to use my platform to help other people because I think we have too good of a platform. We kind of people look up to us too much not to do something good with it. So I always wanted to do something, and I remember my rookie year. Kind of spent the year just kind of thinking, okay, well, what do I want to do when I actually have the means to be able to do it? So uh, my second year on tour, the beginning of the year, that's kind of when I wanted to figure out, okay, I want to have a charity event. What do I want to do? And I was kind of looking at stuff locally, and my parents told me uh, about Safe Harbor, and they told me the domestic violence numbers. And at the time, we were South Carolina was the worst in the country with, I think, deaths. Um, it was either deaths or just domestic violence in general. But we were the worst in the country. And Oconee County, where I'm from, was the worst in the state. So essentially, I was from the worst place, essentially the very worst place in the country to live for domestic violence. So I looked at that and I was like, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to do. And we decided to have the charity event in 2014, and we have gone, let's see, we've had our fifth year this year, um, and it's unbelievable. We raised uh, over, I think, $130,000 this year That's for fantastic. Safe Harbor. So it was by far the best year we've ever had. And we've had, I mean, there's so many people that help out with it. We've got now, um, my dad does a lot with it, helps run the event, um, the Cliffs Communities, uh They've hosted it the last three years, and they've been unbelievable with just the support of the event. And I think just all in all, I mean, I have a lot of a lot of people in the upstate that want to help and they want to do things. And we've had so many people just come out and support the event, whether they've played in the event or they just come out and they donate time, money, clothes, whatever. But we've had – I've had some of my best friends on tour. Um, that are coming – to the event as well. They come to the event, and then uh, Jessica Corda this year, who's my best friend on tour, she donated five boxes of clothes to Safe Harbor. It's fantastic. So um, it's cool to see. It's cool for me to see all the girls come out and support it too, because I know they like they support the calls, but they're supporting me as well. Yes, and they, they are. See, and they see how important it is to me, and I think that just helps bring them in every year. So instead of oh well, you know, we kind of pick and choose what what charity events we play in, what pro-ams we play in. And they've made mine a priority, which I'm 
so grateful to all of them for doing that. And I'm just so grateful for everyone else that comes out and plays. So I presume yeah. it's going to continue then. It is. You so got bigger and better plans. So we're looking at dates for next year, and we're probably going to do it around the same time in August. Um, and I think we're going to play uh, the Cliffs at Walnut Cove again up in Asheville. But it's it's really cool. That's that's one of the things I'm probably most proud of that I've been able to do, just because you see the impact of it, and you can go. And I've actually seen I've seen the house, and I think it had 30 beds in it, and it was before they opened. Before they opened it, and Becky Callahan, who's the um, main main woman with Safe Harbor, she told me that that first weekend they opened, they were full, and they've been full since. So that's one of those things that hits you that you hear, and it just hits you even harder. Of course, because now least, you have a personal connection to yeah, it. And it, but and at least helping. they at least they give them a place to go. But yeah, if you the place I first noticed it was if you go into a doctor's office and you go in the bathroom, there's always a um, the little pull-off, and I noticed that when I went to the doctor's office that all but one were taken, and there's like 10, 10 little wow. numbers that you can call. So it's stuff you so don't... So it's impacting a lot more people than yeah. people realize, right? Well, and I think, it's, I think it's an issue that you don't realize, because I had no idea that it was such a big issue in general, but especially where, where I was from, because from what... I mean, I had never experienced it. From what I knew, none of my friends had. But when you hear those numbers, you're like, well, somebody's maybe, probably affected. Maybe that you one know. of them. And I mean, it was for sure people I was going to school with, whether I was really good friends with them or, you know, just had a couple classes with them. It, there were definitely people that were being affected. And it was one of those things where nobody talks about it. And now Becky said they're trying to get into middle schools and they're trying to teach the kids, hey, these are the warning signs. That way you can get yourself out of the situation. This is what you can do. And hopefully now they're doing more preventative measures to where it's not just, okay, we do have a place for you to go and that's fantastic, but maybe we can stop this from happening little by little. That's right. And it's okay to talk about exactly. it. Exactly. To get it out in yeah. the open. Now, speaking of using the platform, yep. one of the things that I always like to focus on also is words of wisdom. I'm a big believer yeah. in phrases, mottos, quotes, whatever it yeah. is, or just even life advice yep. that, you know, that I lean on. What about you? What, what's some words of wisdom that has meant a lot in um, your life? I don't know. I would say uh, I kind of just have a, a Bible verse I like. Uh, Romans 12, 2 uh, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I just think that if you kind of think where there, this isn't it basically. So it's okay to be different. It's okay to do things that other people aren't doing. And it's okay to work hard doing it. But at the end of the day, you know, you can be different and you don't necessarily have to do what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is going out. They're not practicing. They're not doing anything. You know, you can, I mean, you can look at that a few different ways. But I think that's helped me just to where I'm not necessarily kind of going with the crowd and I'm not necessarily doing what everybody else is doing. And Whatever I do, my mom's always told me that I'm a leader. So <laughs> whatever I, she always told me when I was a kid, if I got in trouble, it was my fault. <laughs> you were the instigator. Huh? I, I was the instigator. I was the bad influence. But um, I think, you know, just for me, I kind of, I don't necessarily have other words of wisdom that I've, that I've leaned on, but... You know, I but think no, that's a good yeah. one. That's yeah. that's that's very yeah. wise yeah. right there. What's the to best be one a, you've heard? Oh gosh, there there's so many. I mean, 
it's hard for me to even pull yeah. from all of the ones that yeah. you know that I've heard. I mean, I think I always try to focus on just authenticity. Yep. And that's that's the big one for me. So yep. when you look at everything around it, uh, you know, it's being authentic and for me, my authenticity actually comes through my relationship with Christ because yep. uh, that's the most authentic yep. <laughs> around, right? And so if I can focus on that, that's what I you know, typically try to Absolutely. focus on from that okay. standpoint. Well, Austin, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you being here on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to seeing you as your career continues on the LPGA Tour. Thanks for having me. Having a competitive nature can come in many different ways, but there seems to be something in people that continues to make them drive for that pursuit of success. And there's no doubt that Austin has that competitive spirit or that fire inside her, which continues to motivate her on many different levels. But it's also her ability of not being afraid to be different that makes her shine even more. Now that finishes episode 83, and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.